You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Sophia, my dear friend. <laughs> okay, you're already off to a great start being normal. How's it going? I'm good, Nathan. How are, are you, you doing? I'm doing very well. You good. know, we've been excited to do this for a long time. We've been, I think we've been planning this for like two months. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, life flies, you know, but it is great to be sitting here. I'm glad we can do it in person without yes. my one mic setup that we had before. So I think it is best, <laughs> ultimately, that we waited so long. Because yes. My setup before was pretty ghetto for guests. I mean, the Lord has a plan. Amen. <laughs> and here we are. Here I am. And so uh, <laughs> would first love to just uh, kind of get started with a little bit of introduction of who you are, where you're from, mm -hmm. what you're doing for in your life, you know? <laughs> for a living, not yeah. really. Yeah. Um, so I'm Sophia. I'm 21 years old. I grew up in Colorado and probably get into this later, but not in like a very Catholic-based home, not very Christian-based home. Obviously, yeah, get into that later. But so I have a great family, though. I have three younger siblings, and I adore them. Family's super important to me. Um, went to Baylor University. I'm still going there. I'm going to be a senior there. And I'm one semester left, right? One. Well, yeah. And yeah, then I go to grad school year. because I'm an accountant. So. Shout out to the accountants out there. Young, young genius. <laughs> Probably no one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. And then the big thing about me is that I converted to Catholicism this past Easter. Yeah. And it was awesome. But just over three months ago. Four oh, months yeah. Ago now. Yeah. I'm a baby Catholic. You are. And your confirmation sponsor. Yes. Was one of my favorite people in the world. Amy Vertle. <gasps> Amy Vertle. Yeah. She's my favorite person. Absolute hero. So she lives down in Waco. And uh, works for a parish down there, um, kind of involved with St. Louis. And then mm -hmm. what is the mission parish that she works for? Oh, my gosh. She's going to kill me. St. Phillips, is that right? I want to say that. Oh, man. She's going to kill me, too. Amy, please forgive I'm sorry, us. Amy. Thank you for your mercy in advance. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Amy's great. She's truly, truly, like, I, I don't feel like I say that people are one of my favorite people in the world very often. And Amy's definitely one of my favorite people in the world. She's a great human being. And, uh, yeah, and she was your confirmation sponsor. So you're off to a great start there. And who is yes. your confirmation saint? St. Felicity. And that's because, well, not this reason, obviously, but 
regret this is funny i'm admitting this on this podcast but totally wanted my saint to be jp2 naturally of course but after a lot of prayer i realized that was more of like a thing I wanted rather than what God needed me to have. Mm. You know what I mean? So I wanted JP too, cause he's awesome. And obviously everyone needs him in our lives, but I chose St. Felicity because she, a, it was my middle name. So I'd always had that conviction there and it was kind of like a family name. And it's very ironic cause my family's not Catholic and I kind of did it for them to show them this side of my faith. Yeah. And so kind of to like include them in a sense, but then also, Having St. Felicity, she is a total BA. She's the best. She's just incredible, was one of the first saints. Um, and just just the sense of conviction she had in her faith and was, I think, beaten to death and just crucified under like so many beliefs that she had. And I struggled the most in my faith with just sticking up for what I believe in. And so yeah. I feel like she's like the perfect balance to my biggest fault. Yeah. And so that's why I chose her because she is just, she's always there for me. She's kind of similar to Mary in a way in my eyes. Like they're both my best friends. That's amazing. <laughs> that's very great. Uh, it is, it is fun developing the relationship with saints. I feel like I didn't have it for a long time in my life. Uh, my confirmation saint was King David, which yes, is pretty rare. Which is so cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. And I felt like we always kind of had a pretty close connection, you know, but it wasn't really until the last couple of years um, that I really started growing close to St. Thomas More, who's now yeah. kind of my head, of, you know, in my corner. Um, and what's cool is, you know, when Emily and I first, when we got engaged, we started really praying to St. Joseph and St. John Paul yeah. II. Obviously, we got married on St. Joseph's feast day. But one of the hard things for me, kind of like you said with the JP2 stuff, is I'm just like, these are the two most, like, not generic saints, because that's a horrible word to use, but, uh, <laughs> like popular common you know yes. and it's like you gotta have you don't need like a super rare saint emily's uh, confirmation saint is super rare um but i was like you need, we, i want like a more personal one you know yes. like not that they can't be personal but i think emily does have that very personal connection with jp2 but i felt like i kind of like got quasi adopted you know i'm definitely like the son totally. of all. and so um saint thomas more started coming up in my life about two years ago a year and a half and then we started praying to St. Gianamola as well. So we kind of do the four, and those have kind of become yes. our four kind of, you know, our squad, our yeah. little, like short, shorter litany our squad. of saints. So I don't know why I said that, but I just wanted to share. Uh, but <laughs> no, I'm, I want to hear it. Yeah, I'm excited to get more into your story today. Um, yes. You are the first person I've ever told, I think, in my life to not go to Mass. And so <laughs> I know that that's like 98% of the way through the story, so we For don't need sure. to start with that. Um, but take us back to the beginning. So you mentioned being raised in a not super, yes. you know, religious household. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what was that really like? What was kind of your your parents' um, denominations or religious yeah. kind of okay. affiliation when you were a kid? Yes. Okay. You are so, still a kid in my eyes, but you know, I am were, a child, a and we kid. all know it. Um, so let's just be real with that. So <laughs> I. So let's start from the beginning. So my parents were Catholic. And this is the interesting part. So my parents were Catholic and they're going to kill me when they hear this. And if I tell the story wrong, but essentially they had one of their really good friends and it was just like a child abuse thing mm -hmm. that happened in the church. So they grew up Catholic. And I mean, you probably know this, the older generation, it just seems like this stereotype with Catholics. They just don't have that relationship base. Mm -hmm. And I've talked a lot with my parents. It was a lot of fear based, a lot of go to confession or you're going to hell, just crazy things like that, that are just there's no 
mercy and love behind it, which is kind of yeah, not necessarily a false statement, like but not, it is uh, not a great thing to lead with. All right, the time. it's not like a thing where it's not really going to push you. Like, wow, I really right. love Jesus in this moment. So, I think that really turned them off from the Catholic Church and. Ironically, though, they baptized me Catholic. So I was baptized Catholic at St. Vincent de Paul, which I'm pretty sure is the place, same place Emily got baptized. That is a fact. so random. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny you know where she got baptized. It is. I've been to Mass there over a dozen times. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. really random. Lots of adoration, lots of confessions. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I haven't been to Mass there yet, which I'm excited about because that would be crazy. That would be like a coming home yeah, story. Go. Oh, my Why gosh. You the Mass there? I really should. It's great. Yeah, I mean, they have a ton of Mass times. Six thirty okay. and eight every every day of the week, including okay. Saturdays. Okay, I'm gonna. They have go. confession and adoration in between those two masses every day. Oh my gosh, I'm so emotional. I'm just gonna have a breakdown when I walk in. There. <laughs> it's this wild. is my place. Yeah. Um, it's where but... the seed was planted. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. So yes. So then grew up in the church, but never have been to Catholic church with my family. Um, always went to Methodist church on Easter and Christmas. Just that casual Easter. Totally that family, yeah. and not really. I mean, we'd kind of pray before meals. It was just like the most, and I say this with so much love, and I'll explain why I love my family dearly, but just very like lukewarm Christian relationship. There was not a lot of talk about God, nothing like that. But I'm super grateful for it, and I'll kind of get back to it. But I am so grateful for my family because they, and this isn't super conventional in like that cradle Catholic world, but kind of let me follow my own path in terms of that. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that. And I think sometimes I say I didn't grow up in a Catholic or Christian home and it sounds really like a negative connotation to it, but it's really not. It's more of like a nod to my parents and thanking them for letting me kind of do my own thing. And I think God really put his hand in my heart and put his hand in my life. I would not be nearly as confident in my faith as I, as I was now if I was raised Catholic compared to where I am now in terms of my faith and no, like com- completely taking that journey on my own. Yeah. And they've always been supportive, like came with me to Easter Vigil. I mean, a four hour mass like that is a marathon of a mass. It the is. fact that they sat through that and they are not Catholic is so cool. I'd have been ready to go. Oh, they were. My sister brought a Red <laughs> Bull straight up. She <laughs> she brought a Red Bull. It was awesome. She but she a Red Bull. Yeah. Like, I told yeah. her, she was like... Bringing up of the gift. <laughs> she was like, I'm scared. I was like, I mean, Jesus loves you. I mean, don't shotgun it during the Mass. Yeah, that would have been... That wouldn't be encouraged, upon. but... Um, that would incur some judgment. <laughs> for perhaps sure. Perhaps rightfully so. For sure. Yeah. But... Um, you want to generally... Sup- yeah. So super supportive, super loving, but they always kind of let me figure it out. And even meaning I would sometimes take the wrong path and totally get burned for it, and they would kind of let me figure that out on my own too. So I was super grateful for that. Um, so kind of going into that, my parents, and this is kind of like the pivotal point of finding God himself, because I didn't really know who God was. I would just go to this church and be like, what the hell is going on? So my parents took me. So my parents took me into the living room one day, me and my sister and told me they were getting a divorce. No one loves that. Um, (laughs) generally a bad time for sure. Um, not one of my favorite times of my life, but so they told me they got separated. That was the first kind of step in all of this divorce process because they're trying to figure out, should we get back together? Should we not? And it was, that was the most damaging. I honestly, when they told me they were getting divorced, it was a sense of relief that came over me Mm. because 
that period of them hanging out with one another, thinking they were getting back together, my sister and I pulling like this parent trap thing on them. We would try and set things up for them to fall in love. Like it was just sad, honestly, like looking back on it and me being 12 and my sister being eight, it was just really difficult for us to try and figure out this adult relationship that's just so much more complicated than you think. And so just feeling that loss of control um, was super difficult. And I talked to my mom and said, I really need a therapist. And it's funny that I even knew what a therapist was when I was 12, but I asked my mom about it. She hooked me up with a Christian therapist unknowingly. She had no idea she was Christian. This Christian therapist changed my life forever. I mean, she's the coolest woman. So she introduced me to Christian music, which I didn't know was a thing. And so I started listening to a lot of really basic, just like glory songs. They were just so, I don't even know. They were awesome, though. And so I just remember hearing, like, oh, my gosh, this person in the sky. I mean, bear with me. I'm 12. So, like, this is me rationalizing. But I was like, this person in the sky has my control over my life and has this whole map planned for me. And he loves me. And, like, this is someone that I can put my control into. Whereas, like, I was looking at my parents and seeing them as someone that I could not put my faith in. So that was really cool to see that transition. And so I went to Barnes & Noble and bought my own Bible. And I still have it. And it's it's jank now. It is so messed up. <laughs> torn up. because So then right after that, I read through the whole Bible. You were a good Protestant girl. Oh, yeah. So you're crushing scripture. Of course, yeah. I was <laughs> destroying it. And that's like honestly a nod to scripture because I wouldn't have not I wouldn't have been Catholic if it wasn't for me reading through that Bible and yeah. understanding like the truth in that. So I read through the whole Bible and then I had a couple I mean, we can get into this later, but just a couple deaths in high school that were really hard for me. A couple of good friends of mine passed away. And so that was interesting in terms of just like relating my life to God and understanding that there is an afterlife and putting my faith in him during times of that sadness. And then I reread the Bible again. And that, and the only reason why I say I reread it again is because I think the first time I was reading it for the sake of reading it. I mean, like me yeah. reading Ezekiel, I have no idea what the heck was going on yeah, you just read when it like I'm 12. Book. Like yeah. I, what did I do? I don't even know. Like reading through all the numbers. Like I just can't imagine myself being like, mm, for sure. It's impressive Let me that you got soak that. that in. I honestly, I would imagine you read pretty fast. I think I know I that do. you read pretty fast because I've seen you read a book before. I've always when we were in Florida that one time. Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned. <laughs> did we mention that like we know each other? No. <laughs> we just mentioned that I told you not to go to mass. Uh, so yeah, so you're dating Emily's brother. Yes. Which is like yeah. So we go way back. <laughs> we do go way back. Yeah, we met. We met like almost two years ago now. Yes. And yeah. I feel like, yeah, that Florida trip was like the turning point yeah. for a lot of things. So, yeah. I didn't mean to jump ahead, but I just, yeah, I just randomly <laughs> said, I've seen you read a book in two days and it's like, what, why was I with you for two days? But that's why. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's incredible. Yeah. Yes. It was uh, Kim Zember's book, Restless Heart. Yes. Do you remember that? Which was so good. Fire. Absolute fire. Yeah. yeah. But you read it. I read it in like five days, a very like dedicated, you know, five days and you read it in like 35 minutes, I think. That's just not true at um, all. Um, yeah. I've just always been a big reader. Your though. IQ's a yeah. good 30% higher than mine. That's just not. It is. Your common <laughs> sense is, is 60% lower, but your yeah, IQ the is, sense definitely is lacking. <laughs> definitely got lost on the way here. Definitely higher. For sure. <laughs> um, anyways. But that's okay. Pros and cons. So you were in high school. Um, and yes. you went to a public high school, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, which was honestly super interesting because that was my first encounter with a lot of Catholic people. They 
came from you know that classic like K to K through eight Catholic school. Yeah, then public school. And then they went. They lost their minds in public school. Lost their minds. Really, yeah. Told me they were Catholic, and so that was my first kind of introduction to Catholicism. Yeah, as it is for many. <laughs> which is awesome. Um, and so that was cool. I loved them too, and they were really good friends of mine. But they were they were party animals for sure. Wow, they were fun. <laughs> I oh, was sure. never. I was never like that. I think it's like the oldest thing in me. The oldest child syndrome is really strong in me. Like wow. just a total goody goody. Yeah. So Emily Harpole can relate. Totally. Emily Crankfield. Shout out Emily Crankfield. Yikes. I can't believe I'm recording <laughs> you just and that? I said that. Uh, and we're going to need you to edit that out. Um, Sorry, Emily. Yikes. <laughs> Good night. Um, All right, we're just going to call it there. I think uh, <laughs> that's going to do it. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. So. Okay, where where are we at? Okay, so high school. Um, yeah, read through the Bible the second time, and the reason why that was important to me, I think, is when I actually clicked the relationship that I had with God versus that truth I was reading and understanding. That was when it really hit, like, Jesus died for my sins. And this sounds so funny because I think a lot of people have grown up hearing that over and over again. But when you haven't grown up Christian, that can really hit you out of the blue and yeah. just really understanding how— that, that has so much gravity to it. And so that was really cool to understand that relationship. And then moving on, um, this is where it got interesting. So beginning of my senior year, I had this terrible breakup who he was also Catholic, but um, not Catholic, if you know what I mean. So that was rough. And just like that period of time was pretty hard for me, um, reaching out to my family, talking to them, I was really struggling. And by the grace of Jesus, one of my friends, Joe Roberts, who's the best. If you Have you met Joe Roberts? I believe so. Okay. He's a character. He had just gone to seek. I believe so multiple times. Yeah, I'm sure you have. He had just gone to seek, which I obviously had no idea what seek was, and was super compelled to start this Bible study and threw me yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah. And it was through Father Mike Schmidt's videos, and that Girl was the century. best. Oh, yeah, it was the best. Because I think it was like... It was the first time I had community. It was the first time I got relationship with God, but then I also got to ask a ton of really hard questions. Yeah. And I think God has blessed me to the point where he has always put this sense of like curiosity and search for truth, Yeah. which is clearly why I'm in the Catholic Church right now. But and that was where you met Father Brian Larkin? Yeah. Right? And yeah. that's when I fired that. a ton of questions at him. Right. And you're non-denominant at this point, right? Like you were going to like an yeah. evangelical church? So, yeah. At this point, I had no idea what I was doing. I honestly wasn't going to church and just reading a ton and journaling a ton and I reading see. the Bible a ton. So, kind of just soaking in a ton of information. So, you were like almost the extreme non-denom where it's like you don't even need to go to church. Oh, just, yeah. Yeah. Self, <laughs> self-study and I don't even know if I knew. But you probably, yeah, you weren't deciding that. Yeah. And yeah, I think like in that, yeah, in that point, I was just super interested in what this possibly had meant to me. I feel like I'm a very analytical mindset also. So I think I was just really liking the information I was getting and wasn't quite sure where this was going to go. It felt like. This is a terrible analogy, but like I was going on dates with God, but I wasn't sure if this was mm. going to be the thing that I was really going to commit to, if sure. that makes sense. So I was kind of just looking through that. And yeah, so Father Brian, and this is when I really started firing questions. And that's when I went to Mass for the first time ever and loved it. It was amazing. I went with Joe to Cabrini, and it was amazing. Just the sense of, I loved the reverence that was there, and I loved the structure. And it just felt a lot better better. I had a lot more peace than I did going to a lot of non-denominational places where it's just very up in the air. For those of you who have been to Protestant churches, it's just very like emotional. 
very, yeah, just very emotional and it's incredible for a lot of reasons, but there's not a lot of the structure. It's a lot of, I would constantly ask myself, where is this coming from? Like, where are these people pulling this information? Just very, yeah, the analytical mindset in me. I was like, I need the evidence. I need the facts. I need something. Yeah, you need some substance. Totally. And I feel like Mass gave that to me. Where, yeah. And I had no idea really about the sacraments What year was this, like your first Mass? If I'm a senior, then 2019. 2019. Yeah, something like that. Gotcha, okay. 2018. So... Yeah, that was awesome. I just love that because you had a very long journey from this is very substantial to actually becoming Catholic. Totally. Yeah. So this was, yeah, this is the crazy part too. So I think I keep saying this is the crazy part. All of it's kind of crazy in my <laughs> mind. But, so fell in love with mass and loved the community I had of friends. I mean, it didn't, it so helped that my friends are awesome. And the Bible study we had was just amazing. And it taught me so much. And I got to ask really hard questions about, I mean, just like, same-sex marriage and abortion, just all those kinds of things I never really got to ask anyone. And it was just really cool to have that experience. Meanwhile, my parents were always so supportive, but I'm sure they were like, what is going on right now? This is so interesting. I think they were their minds were kind of blown because this really came out of nowhere. And the reason why it came out of nowhere is just, I think it was just like God's slow push towards where I needed to be. Yeah, just working on you. Totally. And I loved how... We can get into this later, but like that's so I'm really passionate about evangelizing. And I think my period of becoming Catholic was so slow that I am kind of against those people that go up to people randomly and are like, so have you heard of the story of Jesus and how he changed your life? And it just didn't happen with me that way. I think the really the people who are really analytical like me, it takes a long time to really set that through. Like I had to be convinced, fully convinced. And before I would, as you know, from our lunch, yeah, <laughs> but which we'll get into. Very aware. So yeah. So anyways, moving on, went to Baylor, big Baptist university, very Baptist. And that is, that was when I fell in love with God. And I have to nod to the Protestant people because they are just so in love with God. It is crazy. Like they, the emotions there, the love they have. I mean, I have no doubt that God is there with them. I think that in mass, he's literally there inside of me. And that's the biggest difference. But it was super impressive to just look at all them and see how in love they were and going to a place where college is just awesome because you have no idea who you are and you feel like this fetus. And then all of a sudden you're learning all these things about yourself you didn't know you knew. So it was cool to just go to that church, but I really loved mass. So at this point, freshman year to all the way up until last year, I would go to Baptist church in the morning and Catholic mass at night. And I would do that every Sunday, just back and forth because I loved Catholic church and I couldn't figure out why, but I couldn't let go of it. It just was that structure that I needed, but the Baptist church was amazing. And why I really respect them in a lot of ways is because they are awesome at applying their what they read and what they understand to their lives. I mean, it's like a full on, it's changing their life. They're changing their actions based off of their faith. And I think that's a lot of thing. That's a big thing. Catholics struggle with is like they go, they receive the sacrament and then they leave. And Baptists are super good. Non-denominational people are super good at taking what they know and then integrating it into their lives, which I thought was so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, which is also ironic because the Catholic Church is the one that teaches its works and or faith and works. Totally. You know, so it's really interesting to see that kind of lifestyle application. Um, 
coming from Protestants. Uh, yeah, and I, I wonder what the percentage is. You know, I think it's difficult to kind of tell um, what it is. Because I, I think, like, when you do this study, like, because I used to be really hard on Catholics in this regard, and I still am. Like, I definitely think there's a lot mm-hmm. of room for improvement. I think what's hard about uh, – what's nuanced about a lot of the comparisons and I've done a lot of comparisons. So this isn't like criticizing you for doing this. Um, but I've done a lot of comparisons in my life of the two. And I think what's difficult is I think there's a lot of, I think a lot more lukewarm Catholics go to, I mean, this could be totally wrong too. This is totally speculation. A lot more lukewarm Catholics go to mass because we have this obligation to go to mass mm-hmm. as opposed to the other churches where there's not this obligation to go to church totally. on Sunday. So I think you get, a naturally more engaged person coming totally. to a non-denominational church every week or a mm-hmm. Baptist church every week. Cause it's not necessarily a sin to not go, you know, as we're at Catholics, at least it might be ingrained in you to culturally go. And then you get people who are like, not awesome. That yes. still show up every Sunday. <laughs> and it makes it seem like, Oh, this is what, you know, an totally. engaged Catholic is like, yeah, it's a very cyclical and they're thing. Buns. And then yes. you're like, Ugh. yeah, they are. But it's interesting. So I think it's just always hard uh, comparing them, but I do agree that we can definitely learn from the zeal and um, just fire that is under a lot of Protestants. You know, I think it's really beautiful to see, and it's it was a big inspiration in my own life. I saw totally. it a lot, had a lot of Protestant friends, especially in the oh, army. Oh yeah, that's what I think. That's a cool thing, and I've told my friends a lot that, ironically, I would not be Catholic if I didn't go to that Protestant church for as long as I did. Like that was the most interesting thing, and honestly, finding those differences and realizing those big comparisons I realized was what switched me to the Catholic church ultimately. And I mean, yeah, I agree with you. Let's be real Catholic mass. I mean, there's no jumping around, throwing your hands up in the air, singing, dancing. You're not like, and you're also not listening to someone who's super engaging. That's, I mean, shout out to the priests that are, you guys are awesome. But you know, like the people, just these pastors I would listen to, it was like they were performing. Objectively. Oh, totally. And so it like, that's really difficult, especially the naked eye. But I think, Shout out to Mary Harpool. She gave me a lot of I books that you do know. Yeah, yeah. she's awesome. Yeah, close she's friend awesome. of mine. Yeah. <laughs> We're aware of her. Um, <laughs> she introduced me to a lot of books that explain the reasons and everything behind mass and yeah. what is behind every action. And if I could like force feed a book to everyone, that's what I would send them because I think if you understand. Which book was it? Oh, The Lamb Supper mm. by. Um, Never read it. <laughs> but I mm, like I read it before. You notice that? I do that all the time. People be like, "Have you ever heard of?" It? I I had a really awkward moment last week at Napa when somebody said something like, "Oh, do you, do you know?" Or they said somebody's name, and I was like, "Oh yeah," and they were like, "Do you know him?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> I was like, "Why did I say that?" You know, it was just. Like, I appreciate that because I usually just say yes, yeah, and then I'm it strange, gets worse. Yeah, just a strange human. Um, but anyways, Mary the Lamb Supper. Yes, Lamb Supper. And you guys incredible. also did a book club with uh, Carrie Gress's book. Yeah, correct. Yes, Carrie Gress, uh, former podcast guest. She's yeah. Look she's at you awesome. just following in the footsteps of I so really many am. of your favorites. I mean, look at me go. I'm just here. <laughs> incredible. Who knew? It's shocking. I even ended up in this chair, <laughs> giving that I almost got lost. But um, that's great to have you. Yeah. God bless. Um. So, yeah, loved it. What am I? Where was I? <laughs> Um, so you guys, you read about the importance of like everything that happens at the mass. Yeah. So, yeah. So as I was going into that, this is where it turns into the Nathan and Sophia lunch because Mm. I mean, pivotal, pivotal. 
So it was at this right. Point, it was like a block and a half from here. I don't know if you know that. Like you, oh, you just yeah. passed the and it was <laughs> the culverts that we met. It at. was when everything was born. I yeah, mean, last summer. It so was. It was so almost good. exactly a year ago. I bet that's crazy. Yeah, it was, it was last July. Ago. So yeah, yeah. Now it's August, but so no, that's so true. Um, so this is at this point. I was going to two um, services a day. And was really convicted at this point. Because I was like, what am I doing? I can't just keep going to two denominations. I loved both for their two own Two services reasons. at each Sunday, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. So That's one okay. mass and then the service in the morning. And not to mention, it was also just a lot. Like, it was probably four hours of commute, prayer, all these things. Not to mention that I'm in college and I have tests and things yeah. like that. So it was getting to that point where I was just like, this, I need to stop. It's unsustainable. It, totally. And it was just like <laughs> lukewarm, too. Like, I was just... I was always half and half. And I felt like that was a lot of my college life early was I was so scared to disappoint people that I was sticking around in the Baptist church for fear of committing to the Catholic church. And so that was really hard for me. And then not to mention, I mean, the Baptist sermons were great. I still listen to a lot of them, um, the podcast, because they have some good stuff in there regardless. But so I remember talking to my dear friend, Nathan, because I had gone through RCIA earlier and it was online during COVID and it was with father Brian. And then I remember reaching out to father Brian and being like, I can't do this because I need to ask questions and I need to, yeah, I just need to harass people with questions and I'm not getting answers, which was no one's fault. It was just COVID. And so I had to shut it down. So I was like, okay, no RCIA, which thank God. And I think there's a reason for that because I think I needed to have this conversation with Nathan genuinely before I really understood why I needed to be Catholic because I think a lot of it was me sitting on my hands and not doing anything sure. before actually committing to something. And so I talked to Nathan. The biggest thing I got from that was I remember reaching out to Nathan and basically saying, you're a convert. I might be converting. Let's chat. Yeah. I mean, we had, we had <laughs> had conversations before this too. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely in Florida and but, other times. And then I told Nathan, he said, what do you really, why do you want to be Catholic? And I was like, I just feel at home there. I just love the sacraments and I love the structure and the reverence. It just feels a lot like what going to church should be. And yeah. he said, isn't it interesting that you're, the things you're scared of are so worldly and then the things that you want is Jesus. <laughs> that is, yeah. there's nothing that's stopping you. You're not feeling the sense of guilt because, oh, this church might be wrong for me. It was all from other people. And not only that, which I've realized looking back on it, it wasn't my the people. I was just really scared. It was like I was my own obstacle to becoming Catholic because my friends, when I ended up telling them, I started crying and told them, I think I'm going to be becoming Catholic and I hope you understand. And they went to mass with me. I mean, they were so open to it. Yeah, the and reaction so happy was like, for the diff- like opposite of what you expected. And my parents fear. were so encouraging and loving and which I mean, means, which means what? Like, where did that actually come from? That fear? Totally. I mean, just the devil <laughs> Absolutely, <himself>. yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, was, Satan. Yeah, um, it's like not based in reality. Totally. But, which yeah. was super interesting because I think I was totally creating this false reality of people mm-hmm. judging me, which I tend to do sometimes. And it was just, if I could just put one foot in front of me, what did you say? You go, <laughs> it's like, it's like a fat person that keeps telling himself he's going to go to the gym. Yeah, but he but never, never actually does. goes to the gym. Yeah. He was like, you just need to go. And then you told me to not go to mass and see how I felt. 
which made me depressed. So yeah, I, you hated that idea. I don't think you you didn't take me up on one Sunday, did you? I think I skipped one, and oh, then I you? went to daily mass. <laughs> so that was cheating. Trying to like make up for it. I just couldn't do it. I was like, I feel unfulfilled. There's, and that's the funny thing. I wasn't even receiving the Eucharist yet, but I just felt that life there. It was yeah. super cool. So. Um, yeah. And then basically it just kind of made the decision. I think the only thing that was the biggest change was going up to my parents, telling them I was becoming Catholic. They offered to fly down. That was amazing. Um, Mary and Michael flew down. Shout out Michael. He's the best. Legend. He's a legend. Um, Michael Shaney felt former <laughs> Seeking Excellence podcast guest. <laughs> You're really just grabbing everyone. So many connections. You've got them all. <laughs> 162 episodes. You get a lot of totally. people. That is yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. So, yeah, and my sister came. Just my whole family was so encouraging, and yeah. it was awesome. So now here I am. That, that is, was the long story, that but is, here I am. That is the long version. That's what we're here for. This is a longer-form <laughs> podcast, not long-form. But, um, <laughs> I, yeah, a couple things. I want to share from the the lunch there from my perspective yeah. of, of two things that I think were really important. One is that you learn this a lot in sales, is that oftentimes the first objection is not the real one. Right. So mm-hmm. like you might use an example of somebody says, well, this is too expensive. And oftentimes what that means is they don't see the value in it. Right. Right. It might not be a, a budget or price issue, but it yeah. might just be for what I think is going to be the value of this. Um, this isn't valuable enough for that price. Mm-hmm. That's that might be the, at the heart of it. And so for you, I remember we had talked about a lot of the classic, you know, Mary, the Eucharist confession. Mm-hmm. Like we had talked through a lot of that stuff. And so I was very convinced going into it that you already believed the catechism. Oh, for sure. Right? But yeah. you still propose a few of those things to me at the beginning. But mm-hmm. I could still kind of tell and had to tell you that you're never like if you're going to wait until you've memorized the entire catechism, you're never going to become Catholic. Yeah. Totally. And at a certain point, indecision is a decision. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I think that's really important for people who might be like wavering in between the two that at some point you have to decide. And that's why I always, and I think we talked about this probably that day, that I have those kind of four questions that I say are the most important. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that God exists? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Did he resurrect from the dead? And did he establish the Catholic Church? And if so, if you can be convinced of those four things, and you pretty much can blanket accept the mm-hmm. catechism, right? If Jesus did create the Catholic Church, the Church has authority. If you believe that Scripture is Scripture, you know, the Catholic Church formed Scripture. Mm-hmm. They were infallible in that. Why could they not be infallible in interpreting Scripture and applying it to, you know, the teachings and things and what it means for our everyday life? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people are often shocked at how Scripture-based the catechism actually is. Um, but we, we got through that, and I was just like, okay, so that's obviously not but not it. So that's when I asked you the other question of, like, <laughs> what is preventing, like, what are you afraid of in becoming Catholic? And that, I think, was very revealing and really got you thinking of, like, wow, what are my fears? You know totally. what I mean? And having, have, like forcing you to really like voice those. Mm-hmm. And so that was really good. And then juxtaposing that with, well, why do you want to become Catholic? I think a lot of times we don't put them side by side. Mm-hmm. You experience the why do I want to become Catholic at mass on Sunday? The rest of the week you experience, why would I not want to become Catholic? You're mm-hmm. with all your friends. They might be talking about their church, Bible studies, whatever. You're worried about what are people going to think? You know what I mean? For 167 hours a week. And then for one hour a week, you're like, well, this would be amazing. Mm -hmm. So thinking about those two and you're logical enough that I knew if I just told you like, well, your, your, your cons are all emotional. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And your pros are all, uh, are all logical. So what, what are we doing here? Right. You know? Yeah. Why are you not, why are you not doing this? And then you decided to do it, which is pretty cool. Oh yeah. I think, 
I, you have such a good point too in that the emotion versus the facts and trying to look through that. I also, if people are really on the fence, the biggest, so I would say Nathan's lunch, honestly, really, and I'm not saying that because I'm on this podcast. Um, he really, it was very pivotal. That lunch was really huge for me. Another point that was really big was Rome Sweet Home. Mm. Reading that was insane only because it's really built for those people that really need to because Scott Hahn's just a genius and he pulls everything from scripture. So looking through, he was so methodical in how he nailed everything out. Yeah. This one part, he talks about James 2.24, and I would say I'm pretty well versed in the Bible just because from reading it and everything like that, obviously, (laughs) from reading the Bible, I'm well versed in it. But I... (laughs) It's a good way to get right yeah. for sure. Um, but he talked about James two twenty four, and how basically you can't have. You know what? It's in my Bible. I'm straight up. It's you got the scripture upon I really you. I have it. I'm reading it out loud for people. It says, "You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So I read that, and I was so blown away because non-denominational people base their whole faith, sola scriptura, on the Bible. Mm-hmm. But in the Bible, it says that your faith is based on works. And so that was the most interesting thing. And I was like, is the Bible contradicting itself? But it's not. And that's what people's first argument in non-denominational Protestant faith is that it's faith alone and yeah, not works. Yeah, faith and works. Yeah. But James 2.24 is blatantly arguing against that. But not even that. It's just that the Catholic Church married the two. And it's because of your faith, you have those works. Because you love Jesus you naturally want to carry out those things to fall in relationship with him more and more. Right. So that's when everything kind of married. And that was like when I was gun ho Catholic, I think is when I really realized that. But anyways, yes. Yeah. It's really interesting. I love, um, yeah, how, how much you tackled each one. And I think it does really help you to be so much more, more well-formed on the other side, you know, which is the importance of even cradle Catholics, like really, truly, genuinely like wrestling with, whatever doubts mm-hmm. and issues and objections they have to the faith, you know, mm-hmm. because that's what creates a good evangelist. And I think I was just kind of think about this too, with the lunch is we often talk about, um, uh, you know, evangelization is kind of farming, right? Like it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's really important is there's sometimes where you plant the seed. There's sometimes where you till the soil. There's sometimes where you water it. Right. And then there's other times where you actually get to like, you know, go out and harvest, you know, and your our example of the lunch was an example of me in that kind of like more harvesting phase, right? Totally. But all the hard work was had been done, you know, ninety eight percent you were ninety nine percent of the way there. <laughs> I just had to tell you, you know, something ridiculous, like stop going to mass <laughs> and you were ready you're like, All right, I'm gonna do it. Um, but how many times, you know, other times have I planted seeds and they didn't get watered or they didn't get fertilized and it didn't grow? You know, somebody in the airport or a friend of mine or whatever. How many times have I failed to do any of those stages, right? Many times. But I think what's important is for us to recognize that we want to be good farmers all the way through. Right. Right. And so that takes, it's like kind of a different skill set throughout the entire way. And I think you were kind of talking about that with your slow conversion of having people who are willing to just like be your friend and journey with you and listen to your faith experiences Mm -hmm. and then, you know, share some of their faith experiences. And then you have people who are in that middle phase where it's like, why do you worship Mary? Right. Like those are the more tougher questions in the middle. And then at the end, it's more of like, 
having a prayer life and discernment of spirits and being able to like discern what is the Holy Spirit saying to me right now? You know, how might the devil might be lying to you? Mm-hmm. How can I try to discern that? Um, and really just trying to to guide you in that way. That's more of a guidance thing mm-hmm. than it is answering the questions or, or journeying alongside you. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. I feel like it is hard to, like you were saying earlier with blanket statements, just it's so hard if you're trying to evangelize because I fully believe as Catholics, it's so funny because I think the Protestant side of things, they are awesome at evangelizing. They, I mean, they really just emphasize it every single Sunday to talk about that. And I think Catholics, it's harder for Catholics because I think we have a lot more what Protestant people would like to say, like rules behind it. It's just not as appealing to become, you'd much rather become Protestant and then Catholic than Mm -hmm. all the way Catholic. It just doesn't feel as great. Yeah, I would say it's just, it's just, it's just harder. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think a lot of people don't want to do it because it's harder. Yes. You know? And I think it's also so situational. And I think people forget about that. A lot of people evangelize and treat every human being like the same person when they're trying to convince them to follow Jesus or become Catholic. And it's just not, I was so analytical, but some people are really emotional and they need that push of the emotion side of Catholicism, that theology and that beauty side of it to really convince them. And I think sometimes people just come at other people with just the same 10 step process to try and get them to become Catholic. And it's just always so situation. Whoa. Situational. I don't know what just happened. Um, (laughs) That I think like God works his, he made everyone in their own, in his image, but also so individually, you can't just attack people the Mm -hmm. same way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what is your kind of role now? How do you kind of see yourself in the like evangelization of others? Like, do you, attempt to do it at all? What's kind of your general view on Protestants? Are you somebody that believes that Protestants ought to become Catholic? Yes. I think everyone should become Catholic always. Why why do you think that? (laughs) Because I think, so I guess this kind of goes into a story, but we don't disagree on that. Just just to be clear. (laughs) I know we're debating right now. This is a disagree uh, (laughs) safe place. I want you to know that. Thank you. Thank you. uh, On that we agree. Okay. Perfect. Um, I came to one of my father's signs. He used to be at the parish where I became Catholic, but I came to him two days after I became Catholic and was sobbing to him because I was so frustrated because I felt like Catholics lacked the relationship with God that Protestants had, but Protestants and the more damaging thing was that Protestants don't have this structure of truth in the sacraments that Mm. the Catholics do. And it was, it was like the sense of grief that I had that I had just become Catholic and realized I just tasted the Eucharist, how incredible it was and how this was like the source of life. I mean, this is confession is my favorite thing in the world. I know some people are terrified of confession. I'm all over it. I'm I think it's fan. so fun. Yeah. Well, fun maybe Fun's isn't. not the word, but it is, uh, <laughs> it's good. It's so good. And I just, I don't know, just looking at that and then looking at my Protestant Not all fun things people, are good and not all good things are fun. Exactly words of wisdom to live by but yeah i just i don't even know where i was going with that i lost my train of thought but essentially i was just crying to father signs just saying i wish i could have a giant conference with all protestants of the world and explain to them the whole world just the whole world all billion of them yeah it'll be yeah it'd be awesome we just need to run out a huge place and lots of speakers yeah and convince them it's a great dream yeah yeah um, this was also like 
it was cool, especially becoming Catholic. I felt like I had a huge fire under me of like things I need to get done now. And I still feel that way, but I think it's a lot more methodical and understanding, like I said, situational. That's like a huge thing I've learned is handling everything depending on their situation. But anyways, I wanted to talk to all the Protestants and explain to them this truth behind Catholicism and just like even that James 2.24 verse in the Bible and explaining to them that Catholicism is the truth. And it's like you can have that relationship with God and you can go and sing and worship and do all the things you want to do at conferences, but then you also get this incredible sacrament that everyone needs in their lives. And it's everyone in the Bible. It's just explained so clearly. And yeah. that's why I feel like a lot of Catholics should read the Bible more too, because it is just so, it just bleeds with Catholicism. And it's so funny that so many people are like sola scriptura, but they don't believe in Catholicism when it's just like completely Catholic. The yeah. entire Bible. Yeah, the Bible is a very easy and kind of like a parent argument to me just because the church just like decided on what books went into it and which ones did not. Totally. And so I don't know how you trust church authority then, but not on other things. Right. Especially other things that were also put out at the same time or right. beforehand. Yes. Like the Eucharist and yeah, other things, but and confession. But um, I think uh, in the structure of the church. Um, but one thing, I don't know if I'm going to disagree with present you, but I'll disagree with past you at least. I think one of the most uh, common lies that's believed in the differences between Protestants and Catholics is the idea that Protestants actually do have a stronger relationship with God. And the reason why I say that is I think that um, people believe that, again, based on like the middle of the road people. Mm -hmm. But I think that uh, two reasons. Um, one, I don't know anybody, myself and you, I think, included, that would say that even though we were very scripture you know, focused and prayed regularly when we were Protestant, um, like our, your relationship always gets stronger once you're Catholic, mm -hmm. right? The second thing is I think everybody who says that has not seen a sister pray in adoration. Totally. You know, like if you watch, and not even just a sister, Father Jonathan Meyer prays two holy hours a day. I don't, I don't think Stephen Furtick prays for two hours a day. And that's not the, just a criticism of him. I don't know his heart. I don't know what he does. Um, but I'd be shocked. And part mm -hmm. of that is because Stephen Furtick is a father of like four kids and a husband mm -hmm. and runs a very, very large business that is Elevation Church. Right. So I don't know how he would. But the like adoration is incredible. And I think that one thing that's really powerful, I just watched episode two of Mass of the Ages. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, no. but it's about the traditional Latin Mass, um, which we should go to together sometime if you've never been. I yes. don't think you have. I'm going on Saturday. Okay. Um, but if not, we should go sometime before you leave. Let's do it. Um, a daily one's a great one to start with. Um, but yes, so in, in, in Mass of the Ages, one thing they criticize about the Novus Ordo is that there's beautiful silence in the TLM. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's just throughout it. And I just went to uh, a daily traditional Latin Mass last week at Napa. And it's just, I mean, it's just so real. Like there's just so many times. And what's crazy is the kids are so well-behaved that go to these things. Totally. Even if you go to like Lords, right? Like you see, right. there's obviously some kids who will be acting up like that's inevitable. That happens mm -hmm. at TLM parishes. But when you go to really unorthodox Novus Ordos or, you know, some of these like mega churches, they always take the kids out. Most of the time they have right. like a kid center. So the kids aren't even in there, but the TLM, there's just something about it. Like the silence, the reverence, it forces you to pray. And mm -hmm. I've been to some of these non-denominational churches where you had a great experience. You might have praised and, and lifted your hands up and sang the songs, but mm -hmm. you didn't actually 
spend any time in prayer. Totally. Right? Not yes. you, I'm not saying you, but like no, I didn't, th- right? Me, for sure. And and it's like if you go to mass the way that you're supposed to, especially if you go to these more orthodox reverent ones, like you have time to pray. And not only that, but we have adoration that's encouraged throughout the week. You mm-hmm. have confession where you're examining your conscience, confessing your sins. Like just the simple fact of the Eucharist existing, confession existing, like those two things alone would make your relationship objectively, like logically stronger. Oh, yeah. Right. But I think that adoration, the ability to pray is something that I've seen. Like when you, when I've, whenever I've prayed with Protestants, like, it, I mean, it's just difficult, right? Like, how do you just, even when you sit down in your room, right, in college, or when I sit in my house in the morning, it is not the same as when I'm in the chapel. Oh, yeah. And that's not the same as when I'm in adoration. Like, there's just, or right after you receive communion, like, it's just different levels totally. of ecstasy, of um, consolation, and of closeness with the Lord that come from all of these things, right? The mm-hmm. Eucharist, the sacraments, um, the rosary, uh, adoration being in a state of grace, right? Like all of these things kind of combine to this like unreachable level without those things. Yes. You know, when you just have one of them. Yes. You know, because reading scripture, I always say is, I think that's similar as opposed to like mental prayer and adoration. Mental prayer and adoration is like you and I sitting down and having lunch together, right? Mm-hmm. Or just like going on a walk together or sitting together, you know, and, and just talking, right? Mm-hmm. Just getting to know each other. And reading scripture, I think, is similar to like when people listen to my podcast. Right. Right. Like you get the words of Christ, which is great. Um, and I'm not trying to compare myself to Jesus in this. When you listen to somebody's <laughs> podcast, right? Like you can listen to Pints with Aquinas and think like, oh, I know Matt Fratt. I right. listen to him all the time. And you do, right? You learn a lot about somebody through that. You learn a lot about somebody reading books about them, right? Mm-hmm. But you can read all the books written out there on Abraham Lincoln. And scripture is obviously different than a book, you know, a biography. But it is kind of similar in that you're reading things that have happened in the past that you can now apply to your life. It's mm-hmm. alive, but it's just different than actually sitting down and just talking with somebody. Totally. Yeah. Right? Like just talking to the Lord. Right. Um, and that's even when scripture study and praying with scripture goes the furthest is when you take those words and then you talk to God about them. Yes. But when that's all you do and when you have the ability to do that for an hour straight with nothing sitting in adoration... I don't, I haven't met many Protestants who can do that. Oh my gosh. That's, I think adoration was the thing that really convinced me. And the funny thing was that I started talking about adoration a lot to all my friends before I told them I was becoming Catholic. And I think that was kind of my little foreshadowing for them. Yeah. But I brought them to adoration because I don't think, like you said, there's a place where someone can actually be silent and just focusing on the presence of God. It's like a sense of meditation. And if people tell me they want to meditate, I just tell them to go to adoration. Yeah. It's twice as better. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you can be silent. Least, yeah. Hundredfold. And then you also have the creator sitting in front of you that you yeah. can just meditate on. It's just so good. And I remember one of my really good friends after I became Catholic reached out to me because she was really struggling just in certain things in her life. And she was telling me she kept doing all these um, devotionals and prayers and readings and, I asked her when's the last time she sat in silence to really ponder what God was saying to her mm-hmm. because I've just read so much that God really moves through the silence. You, he, you won't be able to hear him if there's all this noise of words in your head right. of things that you're trying to read and things you're trying to soak in. And that's something I have to tell myself too is I'm not preaching. I'm so informational and I love soaking in podcasts and readings and devotionals. But if I'm not sitting there in silence for at least – 30 minutes of my day trying to ponder what God's going to say to me. You're just running through what you think is God's path, but you're more just running in your own path of what you think is best for you because Mm -hmm. you're not hearing that feedback that God's trying to give you. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really powerful. And 
yeah, it's just there's just kind of this like, and watered down sounds so aggressive and rude, but when you go to, and I've literally been to evangelical services in a high school gym, right? Mm-hmm. And even again, like you can also make the same juxtaposition of Orthodox and non-Orthodox churches, right? In in the Catholic Church, um, but there's just something about engaging all five senses. And the logic and truth, the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith compared to when you just get the emotional experience, which is no doubt real and can no doubt be powerful. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I've had some incredible consolation in, in adoration with praise and worship going on without being in, like, being in my car and listening to praise and worship. Like I've had right. some powerful experiences that way. But there's just something about when you hear the, when you smell the incense, you see the beauty of the church around you, right? You're feeling everything. You get to actually physically encounter and, and taste and, and, you know, experience the Lord through communion. Um, you hear the, the truth and the words of, of the gospel of scripture, right? Like you hear the words of Jesus, you know, on at the Last Supper. We reenact, you know, um, or recreate, I shouldn't say reenact. We recreate Calvary, you know, and you get to see the crucifixion of our Lord, his body broken before us. It's just, I mean, it's just more powerful. It's just objectively mm-hmm. more powerful. And it's so sad to me, and that's why I'm getting more and more frustrated with Catholics. One thing I will say we do very poorly is these liturgical abuses and this ugliness that exists in so many parishes across the country and around the world. Because that, to me, is the hardest thing. I have a cousin um, who I think is close to converting. Uh, you probably met him at the wedding. Um, mm-hmm. And he's awesome, and I think he's really close. And he goes, you know, he's in Harrisburg, and I'm like, where do I send him? You know what I mean? I'm going to try to get him yeah. to go to a, um, a Latin Mass with me as well when we're there in Harrisburg. Um, because I'm like, he needs to, like, he hasn't gotten to see, like, there is no Lord's. Yeah. You know what I mean? There is no holy name in Harrisburg. There is no, um, there's nothing like that, right? Even, a, I mean, I would love to send him to a St. Vincent de Paul, mm-hmm. you know, which I consider like a second tier Denver parish. I would yeah. love to send him to St. Vincent de Paul. I would do it in a heartbeat. Totally. You know, and I just, I'm just like, I don't even know what that is in Harrisburg. Um, there's a couple that might come semi-close, but I'm like, and I haven't been there in a long time, so I'm not trying to just hate on Harrisburg, but <laughs> it's just sad to me that I don't just automatically know in right. my hometown. And I know I wasn't raised around a lot of orthodoxy. It just didn't exist. Um, but anyways, I wanted to ask you, what has your your journey, like, I don't know, you said something earlier that made me think of this. Oh, because you were asking about, like, same-sex marriage and all these kind of tough topics, abortion. Mm-hmm. Has your political stance, like, has that kind of evolved or changed? or? Totally. I think that's the really interesting, oh, gosh, here we are going into This politics. is, like, yeah, episode this two. This is when it gets this real. part two. <laughs> Literally. Um, this just but... became a series. Should I get some bourbon out or something? Yeah, oh, for this totally. Part? Let's do it. Um, I'm 21, everyone, by the way, so I can drink bourbon. Thank you. I'm we at CG child. Excellence do condone underage yes. drinking, though. <laughs> Over the age of 16, just to be clear of our stance right, on that. Right, right, right. Um, so <laughs> it is kind of funny, and I don't even know if it's because of my Catholic stance. I would say, I mean, short answer, abortion, yes, completely changed my political stance based on that ever since becoming Catholic. Interesting. Yes. But long answer, it's so hard living in Colorado and then going to Texas for school. It is like I live a double life. Are they different? Oh, oh. <laughs> do you get out much? I mean, yeah, I'm very familiar. I'm engaged. I'm an engaged citizen. Right, right. Yes. Um, Overly engaged at times. Yes. <laughs> and things I can't control. But that's how I feel. I yeah. think it's funny going to Texas and then hearing everyone's opinions 
and then coming back to Colorado. Oh, I'm sure. And hearing. It's just crazy. And honestly, scares me a little bit how polarizing everything gets, especially in the media, when there's a lot of people that are basically the same. And there's a lot of Catholics that are conservative that don't speak up enough for their mm. beliefs as much as yeah. left people do. Yeah, the silent majority, majority yes. as they say. Yeah. And so that's the, probably the biggest thing I've seen is that even in Texas, and I think a lot of people look at Texas like yeehaw, red, conservative, aggressive. It's not quite that way. I think a lot of people don't really talk about politics as much, the people that I'm around, unless you really bring it up. But they are not aggressive, not nearly as aggressive as people in Colorado are. The blue people. <laughs> the blue people. I don't want to say, group. yes, like all Coloradans, but... <laughs> Just a lot of stereotyping liberal people are very, and honestly, it's like hats off to them. Why aren't we like that? Yeah. We should be more bold in what we're saying. Yeah. And what we believe in, me included. Yeah. It's a very tough balance because there is so much value. And I heard this, uh, man, where was this person from? Somebody was talking to me about from like Montana or something like that. And they were just talking about how like in their town, like everybody just like lives their life. You know, and there's definitely a beauty to that, right? Like, I definitely respect and appreciate those who are just, like, in some small town and just, like, living life and mm-hmm. raising their family and going to church and, like, just trying to raise good kids, right? And, like, um, enjoying life. Mm-hmm. I think that a certain number of us are definitely called to be more engaged and to speak up about it. I think it's sad that on the other side, so many people are so engulfed and enveloped in politics, especially sad, and this is something I know a lot of conservatives and some of my conservative friends talk about often, is this obsession that we have uh, in being involved in federal politics or obsessed with all these federal things and Mm -hmm. international policies and things instead of being invested in our local communities, right? Like that's something that's very lopsided in everyone. And so it's hard to balance that as conservatives because so many of us do just want to like live our lives and raise our family. Like I'd love to just like not care. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about federal politics yeah. right now. I do think we're at a certain point where you have to care at least a little bit because things are so crazy and they trickle down so much now. Yes. It used to be that things went up, right? Like things were supposed to flow from local communities to the state and to the federal. Right. But And the federal was supposed to protect us from local communities and local governments being too overpowering. Mm-hmm. But now the federal government's overpowering. And I don't see, this is one of the things I get really frustrated with Republicans on, is I don't see people changing that, right? Like you look at the number of executive orders signed by presidency and it's, there's no difference between the two parties. Right. Right. And it's just like, that's not what's supposed to happen. Like, I like if I was elected president, which God forbid that ever happened, oh and I never would. <laughs> I don't know if I could do it. But yeah, I mean, you, who could? Who who among I us know, would honestly, want that? Yeah. But I think what the answer is is like if you need to reverse some of the extreme executive orders, like let those be the only ones you write. Like stop that. There's no right. there's no decrease in spending when Republicans get in office, and that's so frustrating to me because it's like. That's what we're supposed to be about. Like, you're supposed to have people not giving a damn about what's going on in federal politics. And Trump was not good at that. Like, right. I mean, you can make the argument maybe that we should all care because we have to at this point. But he definitely, like, had people very engaged, very concerned about the president more than they should be. Right. Like, we're not right. supposed to be this worked up about it all the right. time. And that's one thing that's really I think a downside that's kind of a natural consequence of social media and the yes, internet. I was just going to say that. Is that like back in the day, you just wouldn't hear from them that much. Right. And it was awesome and nobody cared. And you could just like live your local life mm-hmm. and that's all that mattered. But we have gotten so like international because we're so connected, which has its upsides. 
because people are going to listen to this in other countries, which is right. really cool. Yes. But a downside that uh, it kind of sucks. <laughs> you know, for lack That's of a wise, better term. Wise words. Oh, no, totally. I was just talking to your wife about this, actually, that... Emily Crankfield. Yeah, Emily Harpool. <laughs> um, Emily Crankfield, that how we were talking about that social media is a gift, but more than anything recently, I've seen it as a curse because we are not... I think as human beings, and I don't think God made us to know so much information about another mm-hmm. human being. Other human beings, meaning I'm well, on especially TikTok. Especially people you don't know. <laughs> yes, totally. Like, so I'm on TikTok because I am a teen and I hate that I'm on it. And I should delete it. But I just downloaded this, it. Oh my gosh, don't, 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 don't do that. I'm already in. Oh my gosh, <laughs> please don't do that. It's great for recipes. I'm owned by the CCP at this point. Oh my gosh. See, I know I need to get off of it, but there's this trend going on right now that's like, what do I eat in a day? And so these women mm. will go, I mean, obviously, because I'm a woman. I've seen some of those. I'm on those a lot, where this lady will go through what she eats in a day, and I will sometimes stop myself through watching it. I'm like, why do I, why am I, why do I care? Why am I watching this? Some TikToks this? are so long, and it's which just, I've learned since getting on TikTok well, in the last 48 hours. Well, minute limit. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I watched one the other day. It was like a DIY video, and I was just like, I am way too into it. Like, I just wanted to see the end. I'm like, I only want 30 seconds of this. It's I so scary. I hated how long it was. And so that's like, and how scary is that too, that it's like three minutes is just too long for us. Yeah, like, well, we I just, just didn't so care that much for three minutes. Exactly. It wasn't necessarily an attention span thing, although my attention span probably does suck. Mine but I do think reading sucks. really helps. Um, yes. To, to keep your intent and praying, obviously, is the best thing. Right. But no, I get that for I sure. Think, yeah. So it's just long story short, I just don't think people understand how damaging it is to know so much information about what's going on around you. And I wish, like you said, I just wish it was a lot more bottom heavy in terms of us caring more about our local and state governments yeah. than the federal. Which we need to do. And I'm not that great at that. I'm really I'm grateful either. that I just bought a house. And so I plan to. Because it was, uh, I think I had a justifiable argument that it was very difficult from the last five years where I moved so often. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to get invested in a community, even like just a, a church community, right? A parish or anything like that when you're, you know, you're leaving in six months, right? Or right. in three months and you've only been there for nine or you travel all the time, right? Like it's very difficult. Um, and so that's something that now that we've bought a house and I think I'm going to be able to be more plugged in. Um, I hope to get involved in both the secular and, you know, spiritual side of, right. of our community in Inglewood. So. Um, that's on the agenda. I'm excited for you. Thank you. Yes. I greatly appreciate that. <laughs> but that's really interesting. Yeah, I think I think there's undoubtedly probably for most people a journey of political conversion that comes yes. along with spiritual conversion, as there should be. For sure. Right? Well, yeah. And I think that, like I said before, it's great to see when your faith impacts everything in your life as it should. Yeah. And I think I had this sense of, um, understanding that now I'm Catholic, I need to readdress a lot of things that I was really hiding for a long time. Hiding meaning I was just running away from having an opinion about it. And I used to say a lot, well, I'm not educated on the topic, so I don't feel like I can have an opinion on this. But I would never actually get educated on the topic because yeah. I just didn't want to speak on what I thought was right. And so going back through that and kind of making myself educated. It's a work in progress, obviously, because I'm only four months Catholic, but just looking through the things that I really should believe in based on the church teachings, but also just the things that after like a change of heart and receiving the Eucharist, I mean, I really am reborn in a lot of senses and like Mm -hmm. researching 
those new topics and seeing what I think about that. Yeah. Because I just don't think people understand how much of an impact your voice can have when you just casually speak your mind on things like that. And mm-hmm. that's why I wish more people were up front. Of course, not like parades of people, like people conservative running around in Littleton speaking their minds. But I just wish when someone asked you that you would speak your mind, which is something I really struggle with also. So, Yeah. It's hard. And I mean, I even had the experience today. I had to, I had an appointment. So I had to take um, two of my Zoom calls in a coffee shop, like oh. closer to Denver, uh, as opposed to in Littleton. But like I was like in Denver. And I was definitely sitting between some people who I was like, did not seem to be like practicing Catholics, let's say, <laughs> um, or were probably not conservatives. And I'm like, I'm like, it was a very loud coffee shop. Oh, the music wow. was super loud, and so I'm just like, I'm gonna have to speak up pretty loudly, yeah. and these people are undoubtedly gonna hear that I'm Catholic and uh, totally. you know working for a Catholic organization. Yes, and so even that was just like it wasn't really like uncomfortable. Like I, I feel like I'm pretty comfortable like being bold and things like that, but even just things like that too, just like give yes. witness to people seeing, as you stated earlier so kindly before we started recording, that I am at least quasi normal. Um, and I think there's a lot of power to that though, you know, of people reaching and meeting people who are, uh, you know, everyday, like normal people, like I'm sitting there, you know, dressed like somebody my age would be dressed. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of tattoos. Um, yes. obviously good looking man. Um, I can't, I can't, that's so weird if I say anything on that. I'm not going to say a word. Yeah, yeah. No need to comment. Um, uh, we can just agree in silence and, sure. and I'm sitting there, you know, talking about the church and, and, and answering people's questions about, you know, hallow. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I think that we can do it in such subtle ways, right? Pulling out the rosary on a plane. Um, or like I, re- <laughs> I Emily Emily is embarrassed sometimes at the books that I'll read. Like on she's like, you're gonna take that to wherever you're going, and I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't I? You know, bring liberalism as a sin on, <laughs> on the flight, or you know, will many be saved? Like how many people are going to hell? Um, like yeah, I I'm going to read this because uh, this is what I'm reading. So <laughs> amen. The world will know. Yes. Um, but she's like, yeah, maybe put liberalism as a sin away in the Denver International <laughs> Airport. Um, just for a few minutes. <laughs> but it is, yeah. But it's funny, too, because if I, if I was on the plane and I looked over and I saw someone that was saying, like, capitalism is a sin, I would yeah. feel uncomfortable. And I'd be like, dang, is it a sin? Because I think I'm that person. Yeah, I wonder that if that I'm, book's been written. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it has been. In the state of Colorado, it probably has been. But just things like that where I... It seems like I rarely speak my mind because I'm so terrified. But if someone else speaks their mind, I'm more than willing to listen. Yeah. And I'm not saying this in like a victimizing stance at all. I just think that I wish I was more bold. And I really look up to you in that sense, you and Emily, because I think you both are very good about being bold. But it's not in a disrespectful way because you're always... I feel like your voice is really best heard when the other person feels respected in that moment, especially. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I think, yeah, the the ability to sit and listen to somebody tell you their differing opinion is is challenging and I think is lost on a lot of us on both the right and the left in the church and outside of the church. Um, but yeah, I think the the boldness is such, a, is such an important thing and it is so difficult, I feel like, for people to realize. But um, I think... The main thing I think that keeps people from doing it or being bolder in that witness is just like the lack of understanding. That's why I talk about this so much. The lack of understanding of the reality of heaven and hell Mm -hmm. and the fact that people are not headed in the right direction oftentimes, Mm -hmm. right? Like 
I, I constantly rail against this idea that everybody goes to heaven. If you're just a decent human being, like mm-hmm. you're going to heaven, you know, and there's just no reason for me to believe that, that, that these people who I play basketball with, I might meet at the barbershop. I might meet at the coffee shop, like, or on an airplane. Um, like I, I realize how much work I need. And we all realize that, right. The closer you get to God, the more you're exposed, right. It's like getting closer to the sun. There's more light that hits you. You realize all of your flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start to realize like, I think that in and of itself, right? Like going to confession regularly and and realizing how you as somebody who goes to daily mass several times a week or goes to adoration, goes to confession once a month, has good Catholic people in your life, reads good Catholic literature, struggle immensely with sin, right? And you can't feel confident of, and it doesn't mean you should feel like overwhelmed by your sinfulness, right? But you have an awareness of it, just like the saints did. That's why Mother Teresa and JP2 went to confession, like, basically daily, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And it doesn't mean you're, like, overwhelmed and burdened by it, but that awareness of that should allow you to be like, wow, other people who are not doing that, like, just visibly, it doesn't mean you judge them, like, might need a nudge, right? They might need your example. They might need you to tell them that you're Catholic so they can feel comfortable asking you some of these pertinent, you know, difficult questions that they have on their heart. Um, that's just so important, you know, and it's just, there's so much selfishness in this, um, like fake humility of not being bold or of not sharing the faith or not saying something, um, that I hate, I hate that. Like, I just wish people would be like, I'm just, I'm just cowardly. I'm afraid to say something to my friends or family or to strangers I meet. So I'm not going to do it. Or I care more about myself and other people's opinion of me than I care about this person's soul. Mm-hmm. If they'd say that, I'd be like, oh, bet, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> move on to the next topic. I like, feel ya. yeah, who do you think to win the Super Bowl this year? Yeah. You know, like, we can we can move <laughs> on. But it's the fact that, like, so often, either stated or unstated, there's actually selfish motivations, but it's justified in these, like, altruistic, you know, good terms that make them feel better about themselves. Right. And I just ended up going on a rant about the cowardice of many Catholics. No, so. it is. And it's ironic, too, because it's, like, in your fear... It's actually a lot more pride-based to not speak your mind, which is so ironic. I think a lot of people come from it, me included. I'm so putting myself in this position that I used to say and still do that, oh, I'm I'm trying to maintain a humble mindset. I don't want to inflict on other people's opinions. But it is selfish of you to let other people sit in that sin and as much sin as I have as well. But if you see it, I mean, just call it out. I mean, you would never let someone, like one of your really good friends, be bullied by someone else and just stand by and watch that happen. You would absolutely speak out. But of course, when it co- when it comes to politics or spirituality, if someone is doing something, why would you not? It's in your duty as a brother or sister in Christ to say something. And it's prideful to think that y- you almost like you cannot be that obedient to God to put yourself in that situation, to possibly make yourself look like an idiot. I mean, the amount of times I've made myself look dumb saying something to my friends, but oh my gosh, you're so right. And like that, that understanding of usually if I tell someone I'm Catholic, no one's crapping on me for it. They're usually just asking me a lot of questions. And how beautiful is that? Like that's usually when people really come to faith is through questions. That's how I came. Yeah. And one of my Protestant friends asked me, if I'm Catholic, does that mean I'm not allowed to talk to God? I can only talk to priests. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, girl, <laughs> what? Have you been living your whole life thinking that's true? Yeah, people believe true? a lot of, like, basic lies and if that I, don't require you, like, yeah. studying the catechism to answer. Like, and if I had just kept moving on, like, not telling anyone I was Catholic, that yeah. would have been a crazy lie that she would have believed for a long time. Yeah, potentially forever. And that's just, like, the craziest thing ever if you— 
if me included cannot put myself outside of like what God wills for me to try and speak to other people about what I possibly believe in. Yeah. Long story short, how do we even get here? I love it. <laughs> by the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, we have arrived. Amen. But, yeah. By the grace of God, Amen. I am what I am. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so let, let's close in a quick prayer. I don't always do this, but I feel uh, like I want to. So let's do it. Right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the conversation that we just had and for all the people who tuned in and listened. And we ask you to send down your Holy Spirit to work through us in this world. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. And, and Lord, you instruct us to go, uh, to go out and to let our light shine before the world so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And so we pray that you will light our lamp on fire. Help us to understand that you did not do the work in our lives that you've done for us to keep quiet about it, for us to be afraid to share it, but that your final commandment to us was to go and make disciple of all nations. And so we ask that you'll give us the courage, the strength, um, that we need to be bold in this world and that you'll give us a hunger for, for knowledge and understanding the gifts of the Holy Spirit um, so that we can be good disciples and create strong disciples. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Felicity, pray for us. And St. Thomas More, pray for us. Heck yeah. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Well, thank you, Sophia, Yes. for joining. I'm so glad we finally did this and we got it. Um, recorded. This was awesome. <laughs> so super excited to have you. Thank um, you for having me. Look forward. I'm sure that we'll record again in the future someday. And yeah, I just want to thank everybody. If you listened to today's episode, I hope it was a blessing in your life. And I hope that it encourages you and uh, to go out and, and be bold and to evangelize. And one thing that I often think about, just had this experience last week at Napa with Evangelical Catholic, is when you hear somebody talking about discipleship and evangelization, oftentimes somebody comes to mind, right? There's somebody in your life, might be a family member, a friend, a coworker, who, who you might have had some deep conversations with, you might have gotten close with. I would encourage you to pray about that person, to fast for that person, and to think about, you know, and, and ask the Lord in adoration, at Mass, whenever, um, you know, in, in, before you go to bed, um, what, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do in this person's life? How can I be of assistance in bringing them closer to your most sacred heart? And, um, yeah, and ask Mary to reveal that to you as well. And oftentimes you'll get the answer. You just might not like it, but we're praying for you. Know that we hope that you'll continue to fight hard and strive to be your best. God bless.